Well, hey, good morning, City Light Lincoln Church. It's good to see all of you here. Uh, my name is Austin, and I'm one of the pastors here. And man, the passage that, that Kenzie just read um, is exploding with goodness and richness of God. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely incredible. And I believe that this is the climax in the book of John only to be exceeded by the resurrection of Jesus himself. Okay, so this is a big deal. And we'll see as we continue in the book of John that this event is the final straw that led the Jews to crucifying Jesus. They're like, we're done. We need to take care of this guy. And so friends, this chapter is jam-packed with awe-inspiring truth about Jesus. And I pray that this morning that we'd see the beauty of that and be changed by it. So uh, we're going to be in John chapter 11. But before we go there, I want to ask a question. When's the last time someone said something crazy to you? Okay, when, when you think about it, like when's, when's the last time someone just said com- something completely like whacked out to you? You just couldn't believe it. Um, well, for those of you that don't know, uh, this church has only been around for about eight months. Our first Sunday morning gathering was August 28th, 2016. God's done an amazing work. And so uh, Mo and I, not super organized men, by the way, uh, we get the keys to this church Monday before the Sunday we first met, okay? So Mo and I are running around trying to get some things done, trying to figure out what to do. And uh, we're saying, do we have heat? I don't know, but we, I don't know. We're probably gonna need to figure that out. Do we have any people to watch the kids? I don't know, let's call somebody. I, you know, it's just like, let's strike up a, uh, a partnership with Krispy Kreme. That'd be a good idea. So we're, you know, we're just really hustling, trying to do the things for the Lord that we think it really matters, you know? Because uh, man, that's important. So uh, so we're, we're working hard, we're doing our stuff. It's amazing. And uh, the I come into to the church on Thursday morning, and I see one of my good friends, Ken Brown, he's one of our lead volunteers, in here, and he's packing every chair we have in the church into this building. And he's, dude, is sweating. And I'm like, Ken, bro, I read Church Planners for Dummy last week, and you're not supposed to put a bunch of chairs in the sanctuary. Like, you're supposed to put less spread out so it looks like there's more people, right? Logic. And he's like, no, no. And he, he looks at me as serious as he can. He says, I had a dream last night that this room on Sunday morning, our first Sunday, was standing room only. And I'm like, bless your heart, bro. I love that. But look, I had a dream last week. I had a Mercedes Benz. Don't mean I'm taking out a second mortgage and driving a Benz today, okay? Like a little different from what we dream and what's reality, okay? And he just like, no, man, I'm telling you. And so I said, all right, uh, you you set it up and we're going to be awkward when there's 50 people in here and 300 chairs, okay? And so I'm like, dude, you, you do your thing. And sure enough, friends, Sunday morning comes and there's well over 300 people in the room. 40 of which are standing around the edges of the room just to, there's nothing special about it, by the way. There's not, I mean, no, it just, uh, we're just opening the word of God. We're singing to Jesus, just a bunch of people in the room. And it was profound to me. It was so crazy to me to see Jesus actually do it. And, and Ken was right. He had this vision of this, this would happen and it happened. And it was, it was incredible. But, but City Light, anyone can say something crazy, right? But the beauty comes when that crazy thing actually happens, Right? And in John chapter 11, we're going to see Jesus say the craziest thing he said thus far, and we're going to see him actually do it. Jesus' friend Lazarus is ill, and then Jesus assures people that it won't end in death. And then the dude dies, okay? And he says, Oh, yeah, I know he's going to die. I'm going to raise him up again. Uh, hey, Jesus, love you, man. Appreciate you, honor you, and everything like that. But statistically speaking, 100% of people that are born die. So we got to reconcile that. And then 100% of those people that die don't come back. Like, you're dead. You know, like, I just don't know. You might be a little crazy right now. And, and Jesus says it. 
Man, death is the undisputed, undefeated heavyweight champion of the world. No one has ever gone against death and won. And the carpenter from Nazareth, Nazareth is saying, yeah, I'm going I'm to come and defeat death. I'm, I'm going to do it. What do you mean, Jesus? Friends, don't look at this story just like any other thing. Would this be profound and amazing to us? Man, it's packed. Death has never lost until Jesus comes on the scene, just so we're clear. And if Jesus can do nothing about death, then everything else he does amounts to nothing. Right? Like, we, 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 like, okay, great, for the next 80 years I got hope, but after that, what about the next 10 billion? And so Jesus is speaking, saying, man, I'm going to defeat death. It's, it's man's last enemy, and I, Jesus, am man's last hope to defeat that enemy permanently. So this is incredible. So that's where we're going to be. Uh, so let's jump in uh, to see this crazy claim of Jesus and see if he actually does what he says. We'll read John uh, 11, 1 through 16. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus uh, of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed uh, the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks into the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The uh, disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. My first point is the Son of God's plan. The Son of God's plan. Now, let's start by stating the obvious, if that's okay. This plan doesn't seem too great, okay? Verse 3 uh, happens, and a messenger comes to Jesus and tells him that his friend Lazarus is sick, and he's probably going to die. Now, some of us know the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, where Martha is doing dishes and cooking the meal, and Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet. So these two women are Lazarus's sisters, okay? Uh, and, then, and then look at verse 5. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, okay? Lazarus is sick. John points out he loves them. And then he, you'd think that next verse would be, and so he healed them, and everything was happily ever after, right? But, but it doesn't say that. Verse 6 goes on to say, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Rather than rushing to go help his friend, Jesus stays two more days? But what do you mean? Like, why wouldn't you go right away? See, he's your friend, and obviously you love him, so why wouldn't you go there? 
I mean, the disciples had to be a little bit confused, right? Because G- they've seen Jesus heal blind eyes and, 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 and make lame people walk and do incredible miracles. And so surely he could heal their ill friend. And then in John chapter four, if you look back, Jesus, just with his words, heals a, a, a boy from a distance. So surely Jesus could have healed this man even from a distance. He didn't even have to go there. So why didn't he heal him? Well, in short, because Jesus had a better plan, right? He had a better plan. Now, look at verse four. So um, they didn't have what you youngsters call Snapchat and text messaging and Facebook Messenger, okay? Uh, they didn't have all that technology, so um, I'm 25. But uh, anyways, uh, and, and so Jesus's email back for you folks, just so we know, uh, uh, was, was, was their response back was verse four, and he says, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. Man, that was a close one, you know. Oh, thanks, man. I, I'm glad it says it's not going to end in death. Uh, that's, that's so good. So the, the messenger goes back, says, okay, I'm going to tell him, leaves the next day. But by the time he gets to Bethany to tell him, he finds out Lazarus has died. What do you mean? Don't those messages seem to contradict? Because Jesus says this won't end in death or won't lead to death, but then Lazarus is dead. So how do you communicate that as the messenger? Well, let's be clear. Jesus' message to the sisters didn't say that Lazarus wouldn't die. He said that the ultimate result would not be death. The ultimate result is the glory of God, which leads to life, right? Uh, and when we find ourselves confronted with discomfort and discouragement and, and disease and, and, and death, our only encouragement, our only hope is the word of God. Friends, we have to live by faith, not by sight. We have to cling to the promises of God when everything seems to tear that apart and say hope in the world and what you can see. We have to cling and say, no, I know what I see, but I also know what the word of God says, and I need to believe that over this. And their situation seemed hopeless. Their brother's dead. And yet the sisters know that Jesus is the master of every situation, and they'll find that he has a far better plan. But, but why do you think, I have to ask this question, why do you think that John was so clear in this passage that Jesus loved him? Okay, why, why, did he, why does he mention that several times? Well, I believe that it's because during trials and suffering and affliction, our first instinct is to think that God doesn't care. Our first instinct is to think that God doesn't love us, right? Because our mindset thinks if God's a good father and we're his children, then obviously he's not going to let us get hurt, right? That's our thinking. But friends, that's assuming that your and my plan are better than his. That's what we do when we start to think that. Hear me say this. God's love for his children is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. Okay, uh, the fact that he loves you and you love him is no guarantee that you'll be sheltered from the pain and struggle of this world. Listen, closeness to God doesn't guarantee distance from pain. Closeness to God does not guarantee distance from pain. We have to be clear with that. We can't just think because God loves us that our life will be comfortable and easy and fine. No, look at Job, right? You get the Old Testament. This man was specifically close to God. He was specifically righteous, and yet he gets dealt a pretty tough hand. And think of Paul. He wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul lists all of his afflictions. He was beaten with rods. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. He was robbed. He was imprisoned and beaten. And, 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 and you can't look at that and say, yeah, obviously the people who God loves don't suffer at all. No. Job and Paul. I was on a plane ride once, and I opened up my Bible, and, and the woman next to me just goes, Phew. 
I'm so glad you're on this plane. Man, I'm scared of flying, and obviously God's going to protect you. I'm like, <laughs> read, read 2 Corinthians 11. Okay, she's like, parachute, I'm done. I'm getting out of this flying bird, right? Like, I'm just done. And so, right, but there's this, there's this perception. So if you're a Christian in the room, there might be a tension to think, because I'm loved by God, I'm going to be protected. And one of the ways that manifests to see if you believe that is when you or in pain, do you kind of question God and think, why did this happen? Or for the non-Christian in the room, are you thinking through, yeah, God loves Christians and they're probably good and easy and fine life. Like we, we have to confront this lie that we naturally believe. To prove this point, look at Jesus. God's son, he loves him infinitely and yet he would allow his son to suffer the worst pain more than anything else and die a humiliating death on the cross for you and I. He loves his son. We can't think that pain and love are incompatible. They collide absolutely in the person of Jesus Christ. And so after waiting uh, two days in verse seven, uh, Jesus says, well, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, I trust your plan and all that stuff, but like those, those dudes are trying to kill us. And so I don't know if you really thought this thing through. And Jesus just calms their fears in verses 9 and 10 and says, hey, man, we're, we're, he says, we're, we're walking according to the Father's schedule. We're walking with him and, and, and we're walking in the light and we can't stumble. And yeah, we might get hurt, but God's got, he's got it in control. He, he knows what he's doing. In other words, he's saying, follow me and I'll take care of the rest. You walk with me, and I've got the plan, and the Father's going to figure it all out. There's no reason to be afraid. He discomforts their fears. Yeah, it might be scary. Something might happen, but we're walking according to the Father's schedule. And then in verses 14 and 15, Jesus goes on to say, Lazarus has died. And listen, for your sake, I'm glad so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Jesus is reminding them of his deliberate purpose in allowing Lazarus to die, namely that you may believe. That you may believe. God is always up to something far better and more glorious than your temporary comfort. Okay, And God doesn't uh, love us by, by, by not allowing us to go through pain. He loves us by revealing himself to us. The thing ultimately that Mary and Martha and disciples needed wasn't Lazarus to live. What they ultimately needed was to see Jesus for who he is so that they can have true life. Okay, that's what he's saying. Yeah, you're praying for this thing. You're hoping for this thing, but I'm actually gonna give you something better. You want a living brother? No, no, no. I'm gonna give you a living savior so that you may have life in me. That's really what you need to see. They needed to see Jesus for who he really was who he really is so they can truly have life. And this is just a little bonus uh, point since you guys came in the rain. But look at verse three, okay? It says, Martha's, Mary's plea to Jesus is, he whom you love is ill. Notice they don't actually ask Jesus to heal him. They just state where where Lazarus is, what, what he's going through. And I have to confess, my natural tendency when I'm going through something and I need help from God is to say, uh, hey, God, it's, it's me, Austin, uh, the one that memorized those verses last week. And hey, it's me, Austin, the one that, the one that led that Bible study the other day. And hey, it's Austin, the one that, that, that fed that homeless man and gave him 10 bucks. Hey, it's Austin that's, that loves you. It's Austin that, that cares for you and has done all these things. 
and these sisters could have done the same thing, right? Hey, Jesus, Lazarus, uh, man, the, uh, the one that, that loved you and cared for you and invited you in and made sure you had a place to sleep and food to eat, that Lazarus, he needs your help. He's ill, but they don't say that, do they? They say the one whom you love is ill. See, they realize that God's motivation for helping us will never be our love for him, but only his love for us, the one you love. The reason God aids us in our turmoil isn't because our decorated and religious resumes. No, it's because of his glorious grace and mercy. Man, would, these, would this verse teach us how to pray? Not God, I love you, and so would you do this? But God, you love me, and I need your help. God, the one you care for is in desperate need of your goodness and your peace. The one you love. Friends, Jesus has a plan that's wildly different and extravagantly better than anything we could ever hope or dream. Okay, and sometimes that plan includes pain, but I promise there's a divine purpose for it all. And ultimately, it'll lead to your ultimate good in Jesus's glory. So that's point one, the son of God's plan. And let's continue to see how Jesus carries out this plan. Read in verses 17 through 29. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had to come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when Jesus had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. My second point is the Son of God's power. Son of God's power. Now, we find that Jesus makes the trek to see this family, right? And as he comes, he gets word that Lazarus has been dead for four days. Now, meanwhile, Mary and Martha are having a funeral for Lazarus, right? So everyone's gathered, gathered together. They're probably eating some cheese. I don't know. Talking about all their fun stories of Lazarus. That dude was crazy, right? They're going through all of this stuff. And they're, they're mourning. And Martha hears that Jesus is on his way to go see them. Okay, so then Mary jets out in her first uh, words to greet him in verses 21 and 22. Say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. I remember reading this passage for the first time and thinking of that statement like, Jesus, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died, right? Like, like there's this kind of waving the finger, just kind of like sassy thing. But if you look at it, there's actually, it doesn't communicate criticism. If you look deeper into it, it actually communicates faith, right? She's saying in the midst of her turmoil, Jesus, I, I believe that you could have healed my brother, his sickness led to death, but I know that you could have healed him. And then she says, and I also believe that whatever you ask of the Father, he will give to you. Friends, that's faith. In the midst of her turmoil, in the midst of her trial, she's saying, I believe in you. But nonetheless, I'm sure that Mary and Martha were confused at why Jesus would have decided to wait two days, why he would have chosen not to heal Lazarus. Listen, 
The discipline of delay is one of the, mo- one of the, one of the most fruitful lessons as Christians that we can learn. The discipline of delay. Only the grace of God can enable us to, 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 to internalize and accept God's rich vocabulary to our earnest prayers. Yes. No. Not yet. Or yeah, but it's going to feel like no. Only the grace of God can enable us because we believe that, that he's able to do far more than anything we can think or dream or imagine. The more deeply we know and walk with Jesus, the more readily we accept that his plan's better than ours. Friends, point blank, Jesus writes better stories than we do. He does. I've seen it in my life, and I've seen it in your lives. But a plan is only as good as the power to see it through, right? Anyone can make a plan, but you need the power to see it through. And though Mary and Martha would believe that Jesus has a plan, they would soon see that he has the power. In verse 23, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha responds by saying that she knows Lazarus is going to rise right now. She's like, yeah, totally. Last resurrection, he's coming up. And Jesus says, don't miss this. I am the resurrection in life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? He asks her. So Martha refers to the resurrection. But rather than speaking about the resurrection, Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection in life. I am that. And we've got to see, Jesus transformed the doctrine of the resurrection in two ways. I know this is kind of heady and theological, but it's good. You guys can take it, right? Like, let's learn uh, some theology. So he, he transformed the doctrine of the resurrection in two ways. Number one, he transformed it by taking a doctrine out of a book and into a person. Okay, taking the idea of the resurrection out of a book and into a person. He says, I am the resurrection in life. And while we thank God for the Bible, and it's inerrant and beautiful and true, the Bible doesn't save anyone. Jesus saves someone, right? And and, and I'm not downplaying the Bible. The Bible is true and inerrant and beautiful and, and God breathed. But the point of this is to point to Jesus, right? John 5, 39 says, you search the scriptures that you think that in them you have life, but they're pointing about me. I'm the point of the Bible. And we sometimes get caught up and say, I know this doctrine and I know this theology and I know this and that. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I'm going to cut through all of that and see, do you believe me? You need to know me. So if you're reading your Bible and you have a bunch of knowledge, awesome, congratulations. My question is, do you know Jesus? Do you know the hero of those doctrines? Do you know the point of those doctrines? And here's why this matters. When you're sick, you want a doctor, not a medical handbook. Okay, when you're being sued, you want a lawyer, not a law book. When your car breaks down, you want a mechanic, not a manual. And in the same way, friends, when you face your final death, your final enemy, death itself, you don't want a doctrine, you want a redeemer. Amen? You want Jesus to say, no, I, I, I'm fighting for them, I'm pleading for them, they're mine. That's what you want, not a doctrine. You want Jesus himself to fight for you. In Jesus Christ, every doctrine is made personal. And so Jesus asked, uh, Jesus asked her to affirm her faith in him. She already stated she believes in the doctrine of the resurrection. He said, I want to know if you believe in me. So that's the first one. He took the, the doctrine of the resurrection out of a book and into a person, which is Jesus himself. He is the resurrection. And, and the second way he transformed it is by moving the doctrine out of the future and into the present. 
He moved the doctrine out of the future and into the present. So, uh, so Mary says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Martha says, yeah, I, I believe that he'll rise again in the last resurrection later on in time. And then you'll see in a couple of verses later, the, uh, the, the people, the crowd's looking to the back and saying, he, he could have healed them. So they're looking to the past, but Jesus is directing their intention to the present. He's saying, wherever I am is resurrection power in life. Now, not in the future, but now. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The life I now live, now. Jesus, I am the resurrection. Not I will be or I was, but I am the resurrection. Christian, Christian, you have Jesus' resurrection power in life. Now, please don't miss that. And I think, I, think that we, I think that we've lost this. I think we've forgotten this reality that, man, that that's the power offered. And so many of us are excited for life after death. And that's awesome. But what about life now? What about enjoying life now? And I want to say this solemnly and firmly, but, but if you're just looking to the resurrection, but you haven't experienced Jesus' life now, you don't get the resurrection. I know that's psalm. I know that's hard to hear, but I'm saying... You don't get the resurrection later if you don't experience Jesus' life now. The whole point of Christianity is not to secure yourself in eternity. Okay, that's point, that's part of it. And that's awesome. And yes, we, when we come to death, we don't have to be afraid we'll be with Jesus forever. But, but, but if that were the case, if that's all that mattered, what, what would prevent you from just sitting on your couch and being a potato and doing nothing about God? No, the purpose of, uh, of Jesus's mission is to say, I've invited you into eternity with me. Therefore, you go and invite other people into eternity with me. Don't just look forward to the life ahead. Look forward to the life now with me. You can live. And so, friends, I just want to ask, man, if you're a Christian, are you experiencing the life of Jesus now? Are you looking forward to life now? Yes, look forward to that. That's amazing. But utilize the time God has for you now. Preach the gospel. Share all that Jesus has done. If the only reason God saved us was to be in heaven, he'd, right when we accept Jesus, he'd end our lives. Why, why would he spare us until the end of the life? I mean, there's a mission and there's a purpose, and I want you to see that and experience the life now. It's not just about the resurrection. It's about enjoying life now. No one has ever or will ever resurrect somebody. Jesus is the only one with that power, and we have a personal and living Savior. So let's see how this plan and power are lived out. We read verses 30 through uh, 37. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said to him, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could, he, uh, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? My third point is the son of God's pain. The son of God's pain. Friends, most of us don't struggle with the idea that God exists. Most of us struggle with the idea that God is truly good right? 
Like when we're, when we're experiencing a trial, when we're walking through a struggle, when, when we're journeying through a valley, our first thought usually isn't God isn't alive. Our first thought is, does God even care? Because if he does and he's real and he knows what's happening, why isn't he helping out? Why does he allow these things to happen? Can't he stop them? And if we look carefully at these verses, we'll see the deep affection and love of Jesus. Yes, he has a plan and the power to carry it out, but that doesn't mean that his plan is pain-free for him. That doesn't mean that he's removed from our struggle, sitting on his throne, distancing himself from our pain. No, these verses show that Jesus is surely with us through it all. Isn't that good news? So after Mary, Martha's conversation with Jesus, she hurries and goes to tell her sister Mary that Jesus is calling. In the meantime, Mary's still at the funeral with everybody mourning Lazarus. And so she gets up and she runs. And the first thing she does is fall at Jesus's feet. By the way, we see uh, Mary come up in, in the scriptures through the gospels three times. Guess where she is every single time? On her feet or on her, on, yeah, on her knees at Jesus's feet. What a humble posture before a loving God. So she, she sees him, and, she, and she's so exciting. And, and, but everyone followed her, right? Because they, they think she's going to the tomb to mourn. And as Jesus sees Mary weeping and all the rest of the Jews weeping, uh, it says that, verse 33 says that he was deeply moved and troubled. Uh, the word for deeply moved is synonymous with words like angry or indignant or outraged. But we have to ask the question, well, why was Jesus mad, right? Like, what, what do you mean he was outraged? Like, why, why was he mad? In this moment, Jesus is feeling the weight of the fall, the violation of of the way things were meant to be, right? This is the creator grieving over the beauty that was forfeited for the intrusion of sin and death. He's saying, man, I, I planned this. I made these people for something so different, and they're not walking in it. How different is this scene than the scene of the, of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? How different is that? No pain. No struggle, no death, no separation from God. And Jesus sees this, and, he, and he's broken, and he's angry. Sin has run his course, and, and Jesus sees this, and he's angered to see they're weeping, and, and they're breaking over death. It's as if you created something for a very specific purpose, and yet it was used for something completely opposite. That's what Jesus is saying. He's outraged. And, and, and not only is he grieving over death, because he's about to defeat death, right, and sin. Like, he's, he's like, I'm done with it. I, I have a way. But he's, I believe that he's grieving over, over the unbelief of the people. He's talking to the Jews from Jerusalem, which namely were the people that wouldn't believe, that were stubborn and wouldn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so he's weeping. He's saying, you would rather hold on to your religious resume and your skewed views of God than to let go of that and accept my grace for you. That's really what you want to do. Jesus is broken by that. They're refusing his grace. So Jesus may be angry over the unbelief of the people, which leads not just to temporary death, but eternal death. And then in verse 35, we find some of the most, one of the most profound verses in all of scripture, short, two words, Jesus wept. And listen, Jesus predicted that Lazarus was going to die. He knew he was going to die. And he also predicted that he was going to raise him again. So why? We have to ask the question, why did he cry? Were those wasted tears? Why would he do that? The Son of God cried real tears, but we have to to ask the question, why? Listen, just because God knows what he's going to do and why he's going to do it doesn't mean that his heart doesn't break with you through it all. 
You have to realize that, friends. Jesus experiences your pain with you. Hebrews 4.15 says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, but rather he was tested in every way yet without sin. Jesus is not far from your pain. He's present in it, in the midst of it, and he feels it too, even though he knows why and what's going to happen. My daughter, Gracelyn, is almost four months, and she's literally the most precious thing in my life. Like, she's incredible. And, and my wife and I love her so much, but when she turned two months, we had to ha- get her two months shots. And I'm literally dreading this moment the entire week. Like, I'm like, no, 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 no. And so we're in the doctor's office, and, uh, and we get there, and I'm holding Gracelyn, and, uh, and I'm looking at her, and she's just so sweet, and just looking at me, totally trusting, no questions. And the doctor says, hey, we, we need to lay her on the table and, and give her the shots. And so I lay her down. He says, hey, we, we, you guys need to hold her arms down while we give her the shots in her thighs. There's just three shots, and we'll, we'll do them really quick. And I'm like, okay. And so we lay her down. And sure enough, he, he gives her the shots, and she just starts screaming, crying. And the whole time, she's looking at me. And, I'm just, and she's probably wondering, why? Did I do something wrong? I mean, you know, like, why, why is this? I wouldn't do, didn't do anything wrong. Why are they hurting me? Mom and dad, I'm supposed to trust you. Why is this happening? And so Chris and I got to hold her and wrap her up. And I'm, I'm holding her in my arms. We're holding her in arms. And I'm just, I'm just whispering to her and, and telling her I love her. And, and she's just bawling. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Tears are just running down my face. And Chris and I are crying. And I just, because I know why I did it. I know why it's good. And she needed those shots. But still, it broke my heart that she had to experience it. She had no idea what was going on. And friends, God does the same thing for you. He knows what's going to happen. He knows why it's good for you. But that doesn't mean that his heart is distant from your pain. That doesn't mean that he's removed and thinks, hey, I know what's going to happen. You just deal with it. No, in the same way his father heart breaks for you when he sees you cry and sees you not understanding his plan, he's saying, man, I'm with you and I'm empathizing with you. His plan doesn't diminish his ability to empathize and relate. And so friends, Today, this, this morning, I don't know what, but when you start to think God doesn't care, remind yourself that he does. Remind yourself of John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. He obviously cares, and he loves me. So we know that Jesus has a plan, right? And he has the power to carry it out, and he has the empathizing pain through it all. But is he going to make good on the promise that he made, right? So let's look at the last battle scene uh, with me in verses 38 through 44. Verses 38 through 44. And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, sent to them, unbind him and let him go. My fourth point is the son of God's proof. The son of God's proof. Now to look at the scene, Jesus makes it to Lazarus's tomb and, and it's a cave and there's a stone around it. He says, hey, let's move this stone. Martha responds, 
By the way, the one person that professed Jesus is Christ and says, I don't know if you want that, man. Like, like he's been dead for four days. There's probably an odor and it's not really good. And so I think we should probably keep it. And Jesus reminds her, says, hey, if you believe in me, you're going to see the glory of God. So Martha relents and says, okay, let's move the stone. They move it. Jesus cries out with a loud voice after praying to the Father and says, Lazarus, come out. Powerful. Three words. Nothing spectacular. No wizarding. Just, just, just the words of the Son of God. No, I want to pause. Question, raise your hand. Uh, who here has ever been to a funeral? Raise your hand if you've ever been to a funeral. A lot of people. I'm sorry, by the way, for funerals. Um, it's a sad ordeal, right? It's, uh, it's quiet. It's, uh, people are introspective and grieving and thinking of all these things. And it's, it's kind of, a, it's, it's just a serious thing. And, and imagine at that funeral, whatever, I mean, whatever funeral it was, or just imagine the next funeral you go to, a dude walks up and says, Larry, get out of there, man. Quit messing around. Like, that dude is not going to be invited to the reception. Okay, he ain't eating cheese afterwards, right? So there's like, this is, he's getting escorted out quick. Don't tell him, that's impossible, right? Like, but Jesus is saying that in this moment. He's saying, man, like, he literally, Lazarus is in the tomb in the morning, and he walks up and says, Lazarus, come out. And sure enough, Lazarus comes out. The power of God raised him from the dead. Lazarus raises and walks out. Boom, knockout punch. Jesus drop kick death in the throat. Okay, like that's what happened in that moment. It's done. MMA's top 10 of the week. Like it's just crazy. Jesus proved he is the son of God and he proved he is the resurrection and life and he has the power to resurrect the dead. Jesus is the son of God. This is his proof. This is his proof. But City Light, as great as Lazarus's resurrection was, he needed a greater resurrection. See, he would die. He, I don't know when it would, but he would die, and he would need a greater resurrection, and so too we need a greater resurrection. But here's the good news of the gospel. The death and resurrection of Lazarus is just a, a, a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do on the cross and on, and on the grave three days later. He would defeat it, right? So, so this is just a sneak peek to the main event, and this is pointing to later on when Jesus would defeat death and sin and raise again himself. Lazarus died, and he deserved death. He was a sinner, and yet Jesus was spotless, blameless, perfect, and yet he died. Lazarus died from an illness, probably in bed, but Jesus, though he was perfect, died on the cross, a painful, humiliating death. He did that for you and I. Lazarus raised only to die again, but Jesus raised to live forevermore. See the difference? Just a, it's a pale anticipation of what Jesus would do later on through his death and resurrection. City Light, Lazarus was raised from the dead by the power of God, and so too we, by faith in Jesus, can, can, can raise from the, the grip of sin and death. We don't have to fear that anymore. Just a chapter later in John 12, 2, we see that Lazarus is sitting at a table eating with Jesus. And Ephesians 2, 6 says that all believers will be seated with Christ in heavenly places. What glorious news. The, the, the Lazarus came out with grave clothes and Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. And in the same way, you've got your sin and your shame. And Jesus saying, rip that off and you walk free. Changed forevermore. Isn't that amazing, friends? This isn't just another story. Because Jesus defeated death, it means that by faith in him, so too we can escape death and eternal punishment. By faith in Jesus, we get the forgiveness of sins, eternal life and the grace of God. But hear me say this. City Light, ultimately, the reason that, that Jesus resurrected Lazarus 
wasn't because Martha pleaded or because Mary cried or because Lazarus was a good guy. The reason Jesus resurrected Lazarus was because his glory and and his goodness and his love for us. It wasn't because of our love for him. Jesus did that alone. And so if you're in the room and you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, if you haven't made the decision to follow him, to trust him, to place your faith in him, death is probably the scariest thing. It probably keeps you up at night. Well, what's going to happen? What am I, when is it going to be? What's going to happen afterwards? I don't know. It's just a confusing ambiguity. And, and I'm telling you, man, Jesus defeated death. You don't have to be afraid. And listen, this is the good news. By faith in Jesus, you not only don't have to fear death. Amazing. But it gets better. You can enjoy life now. So trust him. Place your faith in him. He's good. He's holy. And you don't have to get better. You don't have to work your way up. You don't have to come to church for the next month to do it. Make that decision today. And for the Christian in the room, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, man, and you're afraid of death, something's wrong. You don't have to be. Death is it's just a, it's a springboard into more life in, in, in that sense, more glory and no pain. And so, man, live as, as missional as you can, but know that Jesus, you're walking in the Father's plan, and he'll take you when he wants. And there's no, uh, there's no, there's no fear to that. It's beautiful and amazing. Man, Jesus wrecked a funeral 2,000 years ago. And by faith in him, he can do that in you today, right? He's the ultimate funeral crasher. (laughs) Jesus is amazing. He's got a plan. He's got the power. He's an empathizing king. And he loves us and he proves, man, I am the son of God. And that you believe in me, you have eternal life. Isn't that glorious? Amen. Well, I'm gonna pray for us.